0: passage this morning is found in the book of John. We'll be reading John chapter 13, verses 33 to 35. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. What is the scariest thing that you've ever done? What have you done in your life that has really been frightening? Have you uh, gone skydiving, bungee cord jumping, flying an airplane? Perhaps it's the first time you, you drove your car in winter in Montreal. Or perhaps a really big one, you've had to speak in public. Perhaps just the thought that I may ask somebody to come up here and to speak in public makes you a bit nervous, makes you squirm, uncomfortable. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that but we all at some points in our lives have stepped out whether ill-advised or, or not but we've done things that frightened us perhaps just remembering what you did in the past brings a shudder makes you squirm a little bit in your chair or it may bring a smile to your face that you faced a challenge successfully I mean leaving Canada at 21 to go to Pakistan must have been frightening You don't you don't know what's going to happen, but you know the Lord is with you. For all the times that we have frightened ourselves with choices we've made, there is one that, for many of us, can be the most frightening of all. It's a decision to say the words "I love you." Some of us find it very hard to say those words, "I love you," because we fear rejection. Because love leaves us vulnerable. Love leaves us wide open because we give ourselves to somebody else. We place our heart in somebody else's hand and that can be fearful, that can be scary. You may have grown up in a family where love was not easily expressed, if at all. You may find that um, it's easy to keep people at arm's length. It's safer not to get too close because no one wants to get hurt. You may find that you're uh, angry or resentful. You don't know why, you just are. Or maybe you're too self-focused, really, to connect with people in a deep way. You may even think that you yourselves are unworthy to be loved. And so you avoid the responsibilities that love brings or the pain of love lost or the sacrifices that love demands. And yet, incredibly, amazingly to me, despite all the obstacles of our lives, Christ commands his followers, he commands each of you to love one another. We're not only members of one spiritual family, as Pastor Jordan talked about last Sunday in our One Another series, but we're born into God's family through repentance and faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ, but we're to live our lives ordered, structured, by obeying the command to love one another. Now, what does this mean, to love one another? And Why would Jesus expect us to do that? Why would he want us to treat each other with love? Is it just an ideal? This is the goal? This is the ideal we're supposed to strive for? Or is it something more? Is it sort of like, listen, do your best, try and be nice to each other, try and get along, try and love each other? Is that what he means when he says love one one another? Is it really possible? Is it really possible that we can actually love each other? And if it's possible, how can we possibly do that? So this morning, I want you to settle in your seats, Open your Bibles to John 13, and I want us to try and figure this out. What does Jesus mean by loving one another? And is it actually possible to do that? To help us understand uh, the larger context in which Jesus said this, I want us to begin by looking at John 13 as a whole. Because I don't think that Jesus, during the Last Supper, kind of as a last Minute thought, sort of said in passing. Oh, by the way, guys, love each other. As a something he just threw out there. No, I think it actually means much more, and has a much larger, larger purpose. As you look at John thirteen, because Joshua read three verses for us this morning, and they fit within this text in this passage, and he sandwiches. This command to love one another in a larger situation. And I think it helps to understand what he's going on about. We know that in the first part of this chapter, verses 4 to 11, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. In fact, the chapter begins with him saying in verse 1, having loved his own who are in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. He demonstrated love by washing the disciples' feet. He was a servant to people he was going to die for. In the next few verses, he is the teacher, and he explains why he washed their feet. What does it mean? In verses 14 and 15, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Here's this idea of one another again. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then Jesus moves to tell his disciples that he's being betrayed. I don't know if any of you have ever been betrayed before. If you saw it coming or not. But if you have, you know how painful it is. Somebody you cared for, you trusted, somebody you've loved, liked, and they do something that betrays you. Extremely painful. And yet here Jesus not only knows it's going to happen, he knows who is going to do it to him. He knows his betrayer, and he doesn't prevent it. In verse 27, he says, As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to this man, What you're about to do, do quickly. And so Judas left. Jesus was in control of every detail of his life, his death, and his resurrection. We come to our passage where this love one another section appears between verses 31 and 38. It is here Jesus speaks about the fact he's going to be glorified. And this impacts how we understand love one another. The glorification of Jesus. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is moving towards being glorified. It's a steady march to where he is going. In John 7, 39, the text says, up at that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. It was in process of him being glorified. In John twelve, twenty-three, Jesus says, the hour has come for the man, son of man, to be glorified. He's anticipating his glorification. And now, in verse 31 and 32 of our passage, after Judas had left, Jesus says, now is the son of man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him, that is Jesus, at once. No longer is he waiting to be glorified. It's happening now. In fact, in the NASB translation, it says he will glorify him immediately. You see, the glorification of Jesus is the cross. The cross was for our redemption, and Jesus receives glory in our salvation. If you turn over to John 17, just a few pages, Jesus describes this. In his incredible prayer that he makes before the Father, before going to the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, the time has come, glorify your Son, so that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you and the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus receives the glory on the cross. When he died and rose from the grave, glory is received because of his redemption of you. He receives glory because of you. But it's not just about us. The cross is not just about us and our salvation. It was about bringing glory to the Father. In the very next verse, verse 4 of chapter 17, Jesus says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Everything Jesus said and did while walking on the earth was to bring glory to the Father. The ultimate act of obedience and love to the Father was going to the cross. Why? Because the Father loves you. Because Jesus loves you. That's in part why he went to the cross. For his glory, and his glory is manifested in each of us who know him. And so God, in verse uh, 5 of chapter 7, 17, sorry, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. What did Jesus do before he came to the earth? He was in glory with the Father. He set that aside in obedience and love to come here to redeem us and to receive glory and to give glory to the Father and receive glory from the Father. And within 24 hours of saying these words he was on the cross. He was dead. Within three days Jesus had risen to life. What he said was true. The Father will glorify me immediately and at once. It happened. Quickly. All to glorify the Lord. And then Jesus after saying that, it says in verse 33 of chapter 13, my children, a term of endearment, my closest friends, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and I had told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Remember, the disciples did not know what was going to happen. It was Passover, They had their feet washed. They had the supper. And Jesus makes this announcement, I'm leaving. And then, curiously, he makes this comment, a new commandment I give you, love one another. And it's as if, you know, if you took these two verses out, verses 34 and 35, if us temporarily take them out of the passage, you can go from verse 33 right to verse 36, and you wouldn't even notice that Jesus had spoken about love one another. Where I'm going, you cannot come, verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? You see, Peter only heard that Jesus was leaving. Peter loved our Savior. Jesus had transformed his life. Peter had left everything to follow him. He left his family, his friends. He left his business, his home. He left security. He left comfort, all to follow Jesus, the Messiah. He found the Messiah. What else is there? I follow the Messiah. For three years, three and a half years, he followed him. And now Jesus is saying, I'm leaving and you can't come with me. And of course, Peter, he asks the question, where are you going? Where are you going, Lord? And Jesus says, where I'm going, in verse 36, you cannot follow me now but you will follow me later. Where was Jesus going? He was going to his death. And Peter didn't understand that. Nobody did. And Peter asked again, well, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I don't want to follow you. I want to follow you now. Where are you going? I don't know what's going on. I want to follow you. Why can't I follow you? I'll even lay down my life for you. And Jesus, how did he answer him in verse 38? When you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, he will disown me three times. It was not that Peter didn't love Jesus. Oh, he loved Jesus. It was that he lacked the capacity to love Jesus more than his own personal life. When that moment came, self-preservation kicked in. Normal human reaction. In fact, that none of the disciples were ready to follow Jesus to where he was going to his death on the cross. And it wasn't only until after the resurrection, after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit transformed these men were they able to say and behave in a way that said, I will follow Jesus with my life until death. And we know tradition tells us Peter died crucified upside down on an upside down cross. He did follow Jesus later. That tells us something about our passage this morning on Love One Another. This little passage that he puts in the middle of the story of him leaving, that it can be skipped. In fact, many Bibles uh, put a heading over this passage of 31 to 38 saying, Peter, or Jesus predicts Peter's betrayal. And yet for me, the betrayal is, is, uh, is important. But even more important in these two verses in 34 and 35 about loving one another. Because this is the second way that Jesus receives glory. Not just on the cross, but in us, in how we love one another. This brings glory to Jesus. Jesus is glorified in how we treat each other. And so he gives a command in verse 34. It's a command to love one another. Now, if Jesus says, a new command I give you, you should ask yourself, well, what was the old command? What was the old command that he gave us? And why is this one new? Well, the old command is in Leviticus 19.18. And it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And we know the lawyer who, who heard Jesus say this said, well, I know Leviticus, and it says, Love your people. So who's my neighbor? And of course, Jesus expanded your people to include everybody. Is who you're supposed to love as yourself. But it's also a new commandment. In fact, John later on, in reflecting upon this in his epistles that he wrote, said, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So what kind of love is, is Jesus talking about here? And this is this is the critical element in this love one another. What kind of love is it? It's not romantic love. It's not feelings or emotions of love that he's talking about. It's what is known as agape love. Tony Evans describes it in this way, compassionate and righteous pursuit of another's well-being. Because think about it. How could, I, how could Jesus come and say, I command you to love him. How can you command love? What if I don't like this person? I don't feel love for this person. How can you command me to love him? Because it's not a feeling. Because loving each other is actually a choice. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. You choose to love. Because a biblical love is a choice to do good for another person. Regardless of our feelings, and it's the very reason why we can love our enemies. I don't like my enemy. He wants to do something bad to me. I'm supposed to love him. I don't feel loving him, Lord. And the Lord says, that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to love him for making a choice to seek that person's best. That's what love means. And so, in this sense, this is a new commandment. You know, all of us. Most all of us, I think, have held a baby in our arms. We've seen children in the playground, uh, parents who are expecting their child. Love that child. I've never seen the child. That child has done nothing worthy of love. But I choose to love my child. My child may be the worst person imaginable. You see these cases where somebody's convicted and their mother's there going, Oh, but he's a good boy because she's chosen to love. She's chosen to see the best in her son, how little there might be. That's what she focuses on. And so this new source, this new command, what makes this new is we move from love your neighbor as yourself to love your neighbor as Jesus loves you. Because people always say, well, I don't love myself, therefore I don't have to love people, right? When Jesus says, no, you're supposed to love one another because I have loved you. With the same love that I have given to you, you you're to pass on, empowered by me to others. So the command to love. But we also have, in verse 34, Jesus continues, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So he gives the statement, love one another, and he tells us how we're supposed to do it. We love each other as Jesus loved us. Well, he becomes the very source of our love. He becomes the one who fills us with the capacity and the ability to love. You know, you may have conflict with people in your life, family members, a spouse, people at work. You may have conflict with people in this church. And you may sit there and say, You don't know what they did to me. Three years ago, they said this or did this. And now you're telling me I'm supposed to love them? Well, I'm doing my best, but it's not going to happen. I've tried, and it's just not working, and I've given up. Jesus says, love them as I have loved you. We'll get to that in a second. Because Jesus becomes the very model for how we're supposed to love. He says, walk in the way of love, this is Paul, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Love is giving yourself up for somebody. You know, if I'm in love with somebody and my emotions are engaged, you don't need to tell me to love that person. I'm going to do it. I'm going to care for that person, do everything I can for that person. That comes naturally. It's when I'm told to love somebody that I don't like where I can't draw my own strength to make that love possible. That's when Christ has to step in and fill me, fill you by his spirit with the capacity to love. So as John tells us later on, we're learning how to love like Jesus. You know, First John three sixteen and 18, 1 John, John tells us this is, how, this is how we know what love is. What's the definition of love, according to the scriptures? Well, definition of love is Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. That's a demonstration of love. That's how Christ loved us. He didn't just say, you know, I love you guys. See ya. No, he healed people. He fed people. He listened to people. He ministered to people. He died for people. I can't think of a greater example of how somebody loves me than somebody taking my place on the cross so I don't have to suffer and die. And it's the same for each one of us. Disciples of Jesus should behave and love like Jesus. Peter picks up the same theme. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Not in our own strength, but the strength that God provides. So that all things, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, the power forever and ever. Again, how we connect with God vertically affects our relationships horizontally. And how we connect with each other in love brings glory to God. And the ultimate example of this, because I have here loving the unlovable, in Romans 5, 8, it says, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't have to be perfect for God to love us. God has already chosen To love you. He's already chosen you to die for. And he's chosen you to live for him and to love through him. And I picture it like this like a reservoir. A reservoir does what? It dams up the water, then releases that water at specific times. We have to dip into Christ's love access his love in our own hearts and then we give it. So it doesn't come from us. That's how you can love your enemies. That's how you can love people you don't love. That's how you can love yourself by drawing upon what Christ has done as he fills you with his own love. So we're commanded to love and our source of that love is Christ's love. We come to the final part, the commitment to love in verse 35. By this, by what? By the fact that you're loving each other, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, in the space of two verses, he said love one another three times. In John, after this, he says it a half dozen more times. Over and over again, he says love one another. You know why? It doesn't come automatic to us. It's a challenge to do that. And so there's a result of loving, and that's it brings glory to God. It also brings an external testimony to those outside. Because Jesus says, all men will know that you belong to me. You know, it doesn't take very long to, uh, to watch commercials or to hear people talk or to hear songs or to watch a movie, to see that the world longs to be loved. We all want to be loved. We all seek love, acceptance. That's how God designed us. He put us within our very essence. We need to have love in our lives. When the church is loving one another in the power of Christ as an act of a choice, that's what the world wants. That's what the world sees. When people come to this church, they should see that. When they talk to people, they should say, Wow, you know... People in this church, they really love each other. This is a family, not just in word. But they're actually demonstrating that. That glorifies Jesus. Because that's something only he can do in our midst. It's only what he can do in our lives. Because it's experiencing love and not just talking about it. It also acts as an internal testimony to yourself. You know you belong to Jesus because you love. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. 1 John 3:14. And also he says later on in that epistle, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We can't see God, All we can see is God's presence through love in his people. And again, that's because we cannot love on our own strength. It must come from Christ filling us with that love. And so we experience God's care and love through each other. That's how we experience God's love. And by love, we build each other up in the faith. And I love this picture. A little boy can't get up. Who helps him up? His mom. Well, who else helps him up? The puppies. It doesn't matter if you have much to give or little to give. Much love to give or little love to give. You give what you can in Christ. Sometimes a simple hug is all that's required. A handshake is all that's needed. An acknowledgement of your presence is a way to say, I recognize you're here. I appreciate you. So where do we go from here? Why do we love one another? Well, because it's a command. It's a choice that we make to care. It's not based upon how we feel, but it's a choice that we make. How do we love? Well, it's based upon Christ's love in us, filling us with that capacity. It's learning to love like Jesus. And it's a commitment to love brings glory to Jesus, both externally in the world and internally in our own hearts that we testify to ourselves. You know, I belong to Jesus because I'm living like him. I don't even feel like doing that today, but God has given me that capacity and ability to do that. So where do we go? As you're stepping out now into the world, back to life outside of these walls, what are we supposed to do? How do we express love for one another? How do we obey this command that Jesus gave, which was not a random comment? It was something that he gave to us at the Lord's Supper to love one another. Well, it's the command to love. We must love one another. It begins now. In all honesty, you might be sitting there, you might be saying, you know, I I hear what you're saying. I agree with what, what you're talking about. But you don't know my life. And I struggle to love other people. Um, I struggle to love myself. That could be something that's part of your, your background that God has saved you from. You know, are there any obstacles in your life that are, are preventing you from loving people, from making that choice? Are there any fears that, uh, that come up right away when I even talk about this topic? If so, after we finish the service, I invite you to come to the front. Pastor Jordan and I will pray for anybody who who senses, you know, I want to love, but there's things in the way to do that. And And I want to talk to the Lord about it. And we'll pray for you and with you. For Christ's love is the source of all that we give. He saved you and he changed you and he transformed you. And it's also a commitment to love. What this means is, start today. After the service, go have coffee with somebody. Go have lunch. Sit down and talk to somebody, somebody you haven't met before. Ask them how they're doing. But first, and we'll do this in a minute, praying that Christ would fill us with his love. Because we love each other in Christ's love, not in our own ability to do that. Heavenly Jesus, you left us with this command to love one another. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with that ability, that desire, that capacity to love those around us in our midst, Lord. That you give us ideas and ways that we can demonstrate your love. We pray, Lord, that you would transform our hearts to become a loving, caring group of people, Lord, who love you, and because of your love, we love each other. Father, we thank you for being with us, and with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Amen. Amen. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, in Christ, I love you.